Welcome to Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Each week, Brian will present a Christ-centered teaching to increase your passion for the Godhead. It is our hope that this podcast will be a burning lamp that leads you on a path to encounter God's unquenchable love for you. And now our host, Brian Francis Hume. The moment that I first ministered here back in 2018 was just a real divine connection, and and the Lord has uh, so kindly put it on Brian's heart to have me back from time to time, and so so grateful to be here this morning. And so open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 8. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Father, we thank you for your word going forth in power this morning. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Father, we thank you for the seed of your word that can take root deep within our hearts this day to bear much fruit for your kingdom, for your glory. And Father, I'm asking by your spirit for a work of restoration even here this morning. Father, I'm asking in my weakness, God, that you would enable me to preach your word in power. God, preach your word with conviction. Father, to preach your word so that hearts encounter the resurrected Christ. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, I bow my heart along with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I bow my heart before you in this moment. And, Father, we say together, have your way with me. Have your way with me, O God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for the unveiling of the God-man Christ Jesus here in this place as you restore hearts unto yourself. We praise you. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. A few weeks ago on September 23rd, there was a write-up that I read, a brief write-up from a gentleman who has spent a career in the National Football League. And this particular gentleman shared in this write-up the very first NFL game he ever attended as a eight-year-old. And on that particular day happened to be the 50th anniversary of that particular moment. And so he shared how when he was eight years old, he was living in upstate New York. And his family, uh, they weren't uh, well off, and they couldn't afford to go to an NFL football game. His favorite team at that time was, uh, was the New York Giants. And so he, he loved the New York Giants and had, you know, the poster of players on his wall. And so one day, the neighbor... Uh, the father who uh, was the father of a, one of his neighborhood buddies came running into the house. And he says, I got four of them. I got four of them. And what he was talking about was he got four 
tickets to go to Yankee Stadium on September 23rd, 1973, to watch their beloved New York Giant take on the hated Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> and so, so, as you can imagine, this eight-year-old boy who just had posters on his wall, even in 1973, of his favorite Giant players, uh, you know, that was just an absolute thrill. And this gentleman, uh, Scott, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, uh, Scott Pialo, Pialo, or something to that effect. But he uh, had, had went on to become quite successful in the NFL, having been the uh, kind of the, the architect of three NFL uh, Super Bowl winning teams, along with Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots, and had, had been named the executive of the year multiple times throughout his uh, career. But yet, uh, this, this love affair started on September 23, 1973, as an 8-year-old, as he watched his beloved giant take on the Eagles. And though the game ended in a tie, 23-23, to he wrote concerning that day, it was a day I will never forget. A day that I will never forget. Now, how many of you have had a day that I will never forget? That, that brings back fond memories. That brings, you know, if you just think about it in that given moment, you can, like, step back in time to the moment and you can just, like, visualize all those things that happen in that given moment. Now I want to take you to another date, just six days later, on September 29, 1973. There was a, a young teenage gal who was at a high school football game with some of her friends. And her brother, 17-year-old brother, was playing in a football game, a varsity football game that particular Saturday night. And about the second or third play at the beginning of the game, her, her brother was a defensive back. And they were their, the opposing team had an all-state fullback, this big kind of hunkering uh, ball carrier. And there was this collision on the field where her brother tackled this all-state running back. However, when he tackled him, when he fell to the ground, he was unable to get back up. He was motionless. He was not moving. And sometimes, you know, if you've been to a football game, you've seen somebody a collision and somebody, you know, they're down for a second, but they bounce back up after they catch their breath. Or once they kind of recover from that hard hit. I've, I played football in my early days, and I remember some of those hard hits. I had a number of games where it was just the collision was so hard, you kind of black out, and you can't, you know, you're kind of standing there, but you're blacked out. But yet... Uh, as the sister, Tracy, observed her brother, he was not moving. And it became very apparent within those, that first minute something was wrong. And so the coaches and the medical staff ran out on the field, and, and an ambulance was, was uh, soon brought to the field. And they, they took this young man uh, his name was Pat. They, t they, they strapped him on the, the thing and they put him in the ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. And this poor young 17-year-old boy playing varsity football broke his neck. And it was a day that he would never forget, but all for the wrong reasons. And it's such a contrast from just six days before this 8-year-old boy who was living out this, this wonderful experience, and it was a day that he would never forget, but yet six days later, this 17-year-old boy named Pat was experiencing this, this the absolute worst possible day imaginable as he 
we're dealing with that. And we're going to read at the end uh, his sister's response to that moment. So I want to take us here to the verse that we read earlier because I mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's somewhat of an obscure verse, verse 5, where it mentions and uh, that he appeared, again, speaking of Jesus, that he appeared to Cephas, and again, I might be mispronouncing that, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now, this, when you look in the scriptures, we, we all know, know him fondly as Peter, but Peter is mentioned by several different names. Peter is the nickname given to him by Jesus. Uh, Peter is, uh, is the Greek word Petros, which means little rock that can be thrown. And, uh, and so Peter was given that nickname, but he's also known as Simon. And then also here in the Aramaic, Cephas uh, is also pointing to Peter. It's Peter's uh, name in Aramaic. And so, so here, Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, make a somewhat interesting statement there in verse 5 that, that Jesus, after the resurrection, first appeared to Peter and the 12. Now, when you look through the gospel accounts, it doesn't seem to quite line up that way initially. And it's a little perplexing when you're looking through the gospel trying to figure this out. Okay, where did Jesus meet with Peter after the resurrection alone? And so I want to take a little run through here uh, and several specific verses here to unpack this for us. Because we're going to take a we're going to look at Peter. Now, I mentioned, you know, September 23rd, 1973, which was a day that Scott would never forget. And then I also mentioned over here, September 29th, 1973, a day that Pat would never forget. And Peter as we see, had one of these kind of days. A day that he would never forget, but he would rather forget. It was a day that he would rather not remember. It was a day that was uh, was this worst possible moment. And so, I'm just gonna, we're going to run through the scriptures here to unpack the mystery behind 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, to better understand where did or when did Jesus appear to Peter after the resurrection? Because, and you might be asking yourself, you know, why is that important? When you are, when you've had your worst possible moment, you've had an an absolute utter failure that you thought you would never do. You thought you would never end at. You thought life would never quite get to that point, but yet you find yourself at that very point. You need the Lord himself. You need Jesus to come and restore your heart, to restore your confidence to restore your capacity to forgive yourself. You need Jesus himself to come and to speak into your heart. And so Peter had that very moment. So I'm going to read several verses here. Uh, you just track with me here. Because we're going to look, first of all, at the... Uh, each mention in the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at each mention in the Gospel when Jesus first, what it seemed, it first appears to the twelve. 
and technically it's the 11, but, but Paul uh, is referring to the 12 not in terms of exact numbers because obviously at this point, uh, Judas is no longer with them. But yet he's referring to the 12 as the, uh, the 12 apostles that Jesus had originally appointed to be with him. And so, so here we see Matthew 28. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. Now, Matthew here says this. I like this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so here, in uh, Matthew 11, verses 16 through 18, we see that Jesus came to the 11 disciples. And it doesn't mention anything in this passage here regarding Peter alone. So then we go on to, uh, to Mark 16, verse, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, Af afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So again, he, he appears to the 11. In verse uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and 37. While they were telling these things, in the context here is speaking of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who had walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and though they didn't realize it at the time, but as Jesus opened the scriptures, their hearts started burning. And then when they broke bread together after a long walk, that's when their eyes were opened, and they saw Jesus. They recognized Jesus. And so they, they hurried back to Jerusalem. So this is where we're at here in verse 36. So while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. So again, Jesus, from Luke's account, shows up. And reveals himself here to the eleven. Now we have the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And so again, we see Jesus revealing himself here to the disciples as they were locked behind closed doors. And so in each of these accounts, we see very clearly that Jesus came to the disciples. Now, obviously, we know from the scriptures that uh, that Jesus first revealed himself to Mary as she came to the tomb and she found the tomb, uh, the stone to be rolled away. And in the midst of her confusion and, and, and somewhat despaired heart, she, uh, she encountered the Lord and was able to recognize him in that moment. And in that moment, uh, yeah, so, uh, so here in, uh, I was getting ahead of myself here, 
uh, here in Mark chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. We have here uh, an interesting statement here made, Mark 16, verses 5 through 7. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man. I'm sorry, it's just so, so hard for me to see here. Uh, sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here's the key. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the angel of the Lord is speaking here to Mary and 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 tells her to go tell the disciples. But I love the fact that the, the angel of the Lord, he didn't just say the disciples. What did he say? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And so we're seeing here uh, a clue here that Jesus himself wanted to have a talk with Peter. And we see here in this moment this, this beautiful unfolding of this uh, picture of the angel of the Lord. Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet Jesus in Galilee. And so that is absolutely riveting. When you start looking at this in the entirety of the context here of this storyline that's unfolding, because this story that's unfolding is, uh, is a story of restoration. It's a, it's a story of a man who had his worst day possible. A man who, who did the very thing that he thought he would never do. Now, we all have read the stories when, when Jesus is talking with his disciples, you know, within the 12. And he's telling them that they will fall away. And who would usually be the first one to speak up and basically adamantly state that they would never fall away? That, that he, you know, Peter multiple times would say, Lord, I'll be with you until the end. I will never fall away on your account. I'll never deny you. I mean, he was pretty confident and, and pretty assertive in that statement, wouldn't you say? But yet we see, we see Jesus tell him, and for sake of time, I, I'm just going to just lay out this story here. But we see Jesus tell Peter one of those occasions that Peter, you will deny me three times, and the rooster will crow. And he was still in that moment just absolutely resolute. No, I will not deny you. But yet, as we all know, the moment came where in the midst, and, and you've you got to paint the picture here because, I mean, Peter was doing pretty good. I mean, most of the disciples ran off, but Peter was in very close proximity to Jesus. Peter was pretty close in terms of a gene would being taken uh, at night before the officials to, in order to bring about false accus accusation. Peter was nearby. And, and in the midst of that, there was you know, a, a slave girl that, uh, that recognized him and said, Aren't, weren't you one of the Galileans? He said, oh, no, no. And he just start cursing and, oh, I'm, you know, blank and blank, blank. And so he denied the Lord, and then it happened a second time. And then the third time, and, and again, you can just, you can, when you read through the text, it's like you can just feel the moment. And in that moment, a third time, he denies the Lord. He does the very thing that was prophesied over him by Jesus himself. And the very thing he said he would never do, he did it. And when that happens, the rooster crows, 
And then he's in such close proximity to Jesus that he looks and Jesus swivels and catches his eye. And when they locked eyes in that moment after the, the rooster crows, Peter's heart was shattered. He had just did the very thing he told Jesus he would never do. You know, when I, in my household growing up, I had a wonderful father, wonderful father. But there were certainly certain mannerisms and, and ways he dealt with us that were, uh, as a young child with a tender heart, that were, you know, it's not something I would necessarily recommend because he, uh, his body language, his facial expressions would just tear you up inside. And so whenever I did something wrong, which would more than, uh, you know, I care to admit, but whenever something would go wrong, whether my sister or myself, and we would do something that we knew we weren't supposed to do, and Dad found out, man, he was angry. Like, he, there was consternation written on his face. And he just gave us a look. And we just like, inside, just, I mean, you just felt crushed. It was like, oh, my goodness. And he just put his hand on his belt. And it was like, I mean, it was just like, you know, you were terrified. But the look, I can just, even, even as a, I remember as, as a young adult, uh, you know, my, my dad was not, you know, at that time we still didn't realize something was, wrong with my eyes even though I was struggling starting to have some issues but even in my early 20s we weren't aware of the full significance of it and I remember one time being home from college and I and I was cutting the grass and uh, normally I would like to wait a long time between cutting the grass not because I was lazy but because I found that I could see it easier where I had cut and where I had not because usually if I did it every week I couldn't see the difference like where I had just gone. And so I, it was one of those times where it was just a week later, the grass hadn't grown all that much, and I had missed a spot. I could not tell. It would, to me, it looked like I, I did it perfectly, but he saw where I missed it, and he was so angry. His, his facial expression just, like, just that consternation, and just like inside, it's like, ah, I felt like that little kid again. And then he just, you know, took the lawnmower and just, you know, angrily, you know, went and did where I was supposed to to have done it. And so I don't think Jesus in that moment when he swiveled his head and looked into the very eyes of Peter, I I don't think there was any look of consternation in the eyes of our Lord. I I don't don't think there was any sort of like condemning glance. I I told you you'd mess up. Look at you. No. I mean, I I think if, if we could capture that moment, you know, just... The mere glance to look in Jesus' eyes in that moment, I think our heart would be unraveled. Our hearts would be undone. We would just catch a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. He glances and looks deep into our soul in that moment. And Peter is absolutely undone. Because it says in that, in, in multiple Gospels, it, it, it said that he went and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He was broken. He was shattered. He did the very thing he thought he would never do. And so here we have a picture of a man that had the worst possible moment where he denies the Lord. And then he caught the glimpse of the eyes of Jesus in that moment. And he just went off to weep bitterly before. And so a few days later then, after Jesus was crucified and after he died and after he was buried this moment transpires where the angel of the lord tells mary to go and tell the disciples and peter go tell the disciples and peter that i want to meet them in galilee and so obviously he knew peter's crushed heart he knew that peter was probably struggling with a lot of self-condemnation in that moment. He knew that Peter was probably not very forgiving towards himself. And so the Lord made sure through an angel of the Lord to make it known to go 
compel the disciples and Peter, my boy Peter. I don't know about you, but that just does something in my heart, just reading those words and just meditating on that. And so when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, keep in mind, Paul had many interactions with Peter early in his ministry. So Paul could have, through these conversations, gotten first-hand account from Peter regarding what had happened. So Paul, not only was he writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had, had interacted with first-hand eyewitnesses, including Peter, regarding what had happened. So it wasn't just some clumsy note that Paul was writing. He was writing. As we see here uh, that there was, in fact, a moment where the Lord revealed himself to Peter before the 12. And so I want to just read one more verse here. We can actually go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24, verses 33 and 35. Now, keep in mind, earlier when I was reading the four different Gospel accounts, I read from Luke, chapter 24, but I started at that point in verse 36 and 37. But we're going to just now look at those uh, three verses preceding the mention when the two disciples from the road to Emmaus went and, and uh, to the disciples in Jerusalem. So here, verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those with them gathered together. Verse 34, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So again, the key point here for this very message is this. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So again, we have another confirmation in the scriptures here that there was indeed a personal appearance by Jesus to Peter in his darkest moment. So Jesus came after Peter to restore him, to restore Peter. And we see this unfolding in a, in a beautiful uh, outworking, even in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And so, so we can see very clearly here that Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, that he first appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, that that was accurate, that there is scriptural basis for that, even though when you look through the gospel account at a glance, it doesn't appear so. But as you look in further, you can find these little uh, mentions from the angel of the Lord saying, to, you know, go tell the disciples and Peter to this statement made by the two disciples in Luke 24 that Jesus had appeared to the disciples and Simon. So why is that important? Why is that important for us this day, this moment? And I would say this. Jesus wants to restore your heart. I mean, we, we see a beautiful picture of a man who had his worst day possible. But yet Jesus went out of his way to restore Peter in his darkest moment, in his greatest failure. And how much more is Jesus willing to restore you and I? How much more is he willing to restore our broken heart? How much more is he willing to restore our wobbly legs, we can barely stand up. We feel like we, we've fallen short. We feel like we've stumbled. We feel like we we've, have not measured up. The Lord wants to come and to restore us in his mercy and grace. He wants to restore us in his strength. 
sort of in a place of humility before the Lord in the midst of our brokenness, we encounter his love and his restoring touch. And so I believe that what Jesus did for Peter, he essentially does for each and every single one of us here in this room. He wants to pursue our hearts so that we respond to him. Not in the place of our misery, not in the place of our self-condemnation, not in the place of our, of our own doing. But we respond to him based on his love towards us, based on his mercy towards us, based on his grace towards us, based on his look of compassion, his glance of love towards us. So today, we have this invitation from the Lord to respond to Jesus and to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to lay everything down. I'm willing to lay down the self-condemnation. I'm willing to lay down the self-hatred. I'm willing to lay down that self-talk that just belittles myself day in, day out. I'm willing to lay that down at the cross in order to come into a place where I can receive your restoration. I can receive your love, your mercy, your grace so that I don't remain as I am in the place of brokenness, but rather I, I come to receive what you are saying over my life this day. So you might be in a place here where it's been a hard hard season it's been a difficult season it's been a difficult stretch and you might be able to relate that you've had some of these recent in this recent season this some of those kind of days that you would rather forget but yet the lord comes after you he comes after you and i even in the midst of those kind of days as i bring this to a close i i want to have uh i'm going to do several things here you know, I, I intentionally, uh, you know, normally when I preach, those of you that have heard me before, you know, I normally do, uh, I'm a pretty simple preacher. I like to do, keep it simple. I do the three Ps in a pod. You know, I'm a kind of a healthy kind of preacher. And so, but this time around, I, I, you can see here in my notes, I have point one, point two, point three, But I don't, I, they're, they're all blank. And what I felt the Lord tell me to do, for some reason, this month of October, it's very significant that your heart is restored unto the Lord. It's really important that the place of your ability to lavish affection upon the Lord is restored. It's really important that your place to be able to receive from the Lord his love for you is restored. It's very important that his perspective, his thoughts towards you are restored and become the dominant thoughts and emotions that you experience day in day out because we're in a season where god is calling us to walk through a door but if we're not allowing the lord to restore our soul in a way that's consistent with what he has called us to walk out we're not going to be able to walk through the door and so this month is absolutely essential for the restorative work of god in our lives to restore us to the original intent of what he has in his heart for us. And so Jesus is all about restoring us to the Father's original intent. And so I don't have a three-point sermon here today because the reality is this. The Lord wants you, over the next few weeks, to open up the Bible and begin to look at the life of Peter. And I specifically have felt challenged to call the body of Christ into a place of pursuing the face of Christ through first and second epistles of Peter. Because Peter had written that years after that day that he would never forget. And then in hindsight, he has insights as to how to walk out that process. So I want you in a place before the Lord to open up the Bible and begin to ask God, God, show me what are my three Ps in the pod for this message. How do I walk that out? How do I walk out this call to restoration in my life? You know, sometimes it's better 
posture your heart before the Lord and say, Father, show me through the scriptures how do I allow you to restore my joy? How do I allow you to restore that intimate place and the secret place with you? And you begin to pursue God in that place. I'm telling you, he loves to respond to those kind of prayers, to those kind of requests. And he will begin to open the scriptures to you. And I just believe that in this month of October, the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit is just going to breathe upon First and Second Peter. And I just want you to take heed to this word, I believe, from the Lord. Wherever, I'm supposed to, wherever I go this month, I'm supposed to preach this message on restoration and seeking God and asking Him what are those three points that I'm to walk out that I can find in First and Second Peter. Will you do that? So in closing here, what we're going to do is I'm going to bring us to a close, and uh, I'll let Brian Kaiser uh, come up here. Actually, Brian, come up here right now if you don't mind. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray specifically over this uh, message here. And then as Brian brings it to a close, uh, he said that uh, for those that want to linger, we'll just see if the Lord has some prophetic things that he wants to speak here uh, at Love Revival. But as I bring it to a close, I, I want to ask uh, Brian, if you wouldn't mind reading, because it's just challenging with my eyes. Brian, are you able to... I'll put you on the spot. And so I mentioned earlier the sister that was watching her brother, Pat, play in that high school football game on September 29th, 1973, there in Kansas City, Missouri. And she wrote this 50 years to the day that it happened. But this Tracy that I speak of, her name is Tracy Bickle, the sister of Mike Bickle the founder of International House of Prayer in Kansas City. They had a brother named Pat Bickle who broke his neck. It forever changed their family. For years, it was crushing. You can, you'll hear in her very own words, it was a crushing season. But yet God used it for his good. And Pat became a remarkable man of God used mightily of the Lord to speak into the lives of youth until his passing in 2007. But I'm going to ask Brian to read this section here where Tracy Bickle shares some of her insights from there because we're, in hindsight, we're, we're seeing how she was able to navigate the hardest day of her life and her family's life. So, Brian, if you can read that page there and then just in the beginning of the second page there. Tracy Bickle, September 29th, 2003. It's been 50 years at 7.05 p.m. tonight. There is a day of epical, I don't know that word, I've never seen that word before, um, event which changes a person's life forever. That day was Friday, September 29th, 1973, when my dear brother, Pat, broke his neck in a high school football game 50 years ago and became paralyzed from the neck down. His life and the lives of my family were forever changed. Nothing was ever to be the same. Our new normal altered the way we viewed how life works and how traumatic events affect each person and those around them. It informed our views of God and how he will use these events to mold us. Mine and my siblings' childhoods were forever marred by that calamity and the ones that followed. We live in a fog of pain, the agony and suffering of what seemed to be like a constant state of shock for years to come. One is trained in those circumstances on how to walk life out. We can choose to quit, give up, become angry, or we choose to fight. We, forward and, we move forward and call out the good in what seems to be only tragic. My brother Pat became proficient at calling forth the good in his situation and those around him. He was a stellar human being. I am better due to that season in my life. 
It was brutal for sure, more brutal for Pat than any of us. We would never have thought we'd say it was our benefit, but in the end, it was. God promises to use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8:28. We will go through events that challenge us in every way. How are you choosing to walk it out? How have you or have you become proverbial victim? And why is this happening to me, person? Or are you fighting to make you wise decisions on your way through the haze of pain? Let's not pretend it's hard. It is hard. It is surely hard, but we can do it. Who do you have around you? What and who are you listening to? That will matter in how you respond. I encourage you to to find help and support as we all need it. That's one thing that's great about Monday nights, by the way. Um, I miss my brother dearly on so many levels. I choose to remind myself on of a brilliant verse. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Be encouraged. You can do it. As we, bring, as we come to a close here with the message, there, there's some of you here, there's still a lingering doubt right now that has this little subtle voice within that says, I can't be restored. And if that's you, I want you to stand up right now because I believe God's going to break that lie right now in this moment. If, if that's you today, where you know that you need to be restored, but yet there, there's a lingering doubt, I just want you to just... And, be courageous here in this moment. I just want to ask you to stand. I think I see a few. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. And as they are standing, I want anyone here that is, uh, you know there's a place in your life the Holy Spirit's highlighted that you need restoration before the Lord. And, and you have the, you know, you do may have a measure of confidence to be able to respond to the Lord. I just want you to ask you to stand as well. If you need to respond to this message, that there's something in your life God is inviting you into to experience the restorative touch of Jesus, just stand up. So right now I'm just going to pray first for those that responded first, that, that are in a place of uh, doubt, that they could really be restored. So Father, right now, touch by your spirit, those that responded first, God, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, God, I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest right now within their soul the loving touch of Jesus as they gaze into his eyes. God, I'm asking that you would remove any lingering doubt that you are able to restore their hearts, that you're able to restore their lives. So, Father, right now, through the demonstration of your power, I'm asking you to manifest your love within their heart by the Spirit of God as they encounter the raw presence of Jesus in this moment. Make yourself known right now as the beautiful one who comes to restore. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit. And God, I just thank you for the work of your Spirit as we take authority over the lies. Any lie, Father, that is, detracts us from our gaze upon the God-man Christ Jesus, Father, we take, that we take authority over those lies. And Father, we choose right now take those thoughts captive and to make them obedient to Christ. And Father, we just thank you that those, those demonic lies will not have any permission to continue to linger as they are bound right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing forth revelation of Christ, Christ to the heart of each one. 
Thank you, Father. And Lord, lastly, I just pray over all standing. God, I'm thanking you for restoration. God, I'm thanking you for the work of your spirit in the lives of those being restored in this moment. Lord, I just know that there's many here. Lord, the cry of their heart is to be restored in a place of deep intimacy. It's almost like the way it used to be. So, Father, I'm asking you in your kindness towards us through the cross, God, that you would this day mark them, this day, right now, as you just break off, Lord, even the chains of yesterday, even the things that they've walked through, Lord, right now, by the Spirit of God, break off, Lord, just any memories of trauma, things that have seemingly stolen their intimacy with you, Father. So, Lord, right now, we just lay those things down. And, God, we just say, Father, this day forth, I thank you for your love that you lavish upon me as a beloved son or daughter. And I receive that by faith through the cross. And I just allow that love to cause the trauma to dissipate right now in Jesus' name. So, Lord, thank you right now, restoring intimacy, that longing for intimacy with you in the secret place. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, thank you for restoring marriages. God, thank you for restoring lost hope. Thank you, Father, for restoring even relationships, God, friendships, oh, God. Thank you, Father. Friendships that were shipwrecked. God, we're asking for supernatural intervention to restore friendship. God, to restore even relationship among mothers and daughters, mothers and sons in this house, oh God. To restore those things that need your touch. To Jesus right now, look. Let your gaze Look deep into the soul of each person in this room, in this moment. As you begin this restorative process for your glory. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. This has been Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Join us each week as we pursue God's heart for passion, purity, and prayer.